E-A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Alrighty, folks, this is it, the final month of 2020. What will the final chapter have to yield for us? I don't know. We'll see. It's going to be interesting, to say the least. And yes, I am your humble host, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show. Thank you so much for joining us once again. And of course, you guys are joining us here on the show as you're expecting a phenomenal guest. And of course, I have a phenomenal guest in store for you, Steve Melink. He is the CEO of Melink Corporation and the author of Fusion Capitalism, and he is making his case today why we need to consider a carbon tax to help, in his words, deal with the impending climate crisis. So, uh, Steve joins the show to make his case, but also to promote his book, Fusion Capitalism, so it's a great conversation. Now, while we do not necessarily uh, agree it's important to have these conversations, and I, I cannot thank Steve enough for, for joining the show and making his case. So, without further ado, on to the show, Steve Melling here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hello, Brian. Thank you so much for joining us, Steve. So, first and foremost, thank you for joining us here. We're recording just after our Thanksgiving holiday, so I know we're all still trying to get the tryptophan out of our system, but uh, you're taking some time to join us here today to discuss, uh, obviously, something that's very passionate to you, uh, but it's something that you've uh, not only been focusing on in your day job, but you've been writing a lot of uh, great works over uh, your new book, Fusion Capitalism, that is focusing on clean energy solutions uh, going forward into 2021 and beyond, and, and I think right now uh, you're going to see a lot of folks, especially on the uh, the right, they're they're missing the opportunity to help lead this this argument going forward. And I think we've really gone past the old conversations or debates, rather, of uh, you know is, is global warming or climate change real? But more so, you know, now what can we do uh, to to you know mitigate at the very least our impact? And you know, I've, I've had folks on my show who they're focused 
very similar, actually, in, in the ideas that you're promoting, but I don't think they're they're leading the charge as much as you you are over at Melling Corporation. So let's start here, Steve. Kind of give the um, the framework. What got you, first and foremost, interested in focusing on clean energy alternatives, but also wanting to lead the charge in helping get a, a clean vision uh, for the energy sector in the future? Sure. Well, thanks, Brian. Um well, you know, I started my business uh, over 30 years ago, and I was in energy efficiency. And uh, at that time, you know, I was just trying to make a successful business. I was selling a product and a service and uh, really trying to just make a good living and, um, you know, uh, maybe hire some people kind of a thing. And I really wasn't thinking, uh, you know, in a big way. And it wasn't until uh, about... Um, well, about 15 years ago that I attended a green building conference in Cleveland. And I was inspired by what I saw. I, 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 there were lots of architects, engineers, construction people, um, building owners, intent about changing the building industry and making it more sustainable. And that was the, it was kind of like an epiphany for me. I, I, it totally resonated with me, the message, um, and uh, the idea of having a cause bigger than myself and my company, um, I found just to be very inspiring. And so um, I, I walked away from that conference and uh, we designed and built the first LEED Gold certified building in Ohio. LEED is stand, it's an acronym, stands for Leadership in Energy and Environmental Design. It's a green building rating system. And... Um, you know, I just wanted to show that we're going to walk the talk. You know, I'm selling energy efficiency and I want to show our customers that we're authentic. Um, but little did I know that that was just the first step in a long journey. Um, it evolved. You know, we we put solar PV on our, our rooftop and we made all, all kinds of other um, uh, improvements. But, um, you know, from that um start, we uh, created a solar PV business. And, um, you know, suddenly I was being called to Columbus, Ohio and Washington, D.C. to testify um, on behalf of uh, the clean energy industry. And um, a lot of other data points along the way that, um, you know, it kind of, you know, put me on a stage in a way to um, speak on behalf of this growing clean energy economy. And, um, you know, you know, certainly with uh, greater awareness of climate change being a problem, um, you know, I, I, I wanted to help solve that problem. And I, I'm a conservative and I don't understand the um, the issue of why conservatives have to believe in um, using up and burning up fossil fuels. Um, you know, certainly that was the uh, paradigm of the 20th century, but in the 21st century, um, you know, the world is rapidly shifting towards clean energy like solar and wind power. Um, so it, it's it's been an evolution. And, um, you know, I, I wrote this book, uh, Fusion Capitalism. It's a clean energy vision for conservatives, because as you mentioned, conservatives have been largely preventing this um, this movement from becoming an outright revolution and in a, a revolution in a good way where we grow our economy, uh, we improve our, our health, our national security, and of course our environment. Um, and, 
in based on everything I'm seeing in the growth of these uh, of the clean energy industry and the benefits that come from it, I I believe firmly that it's the greatest opportunity in the 21st century. And and we as the U.S. need to try to lead this because it's it's um, you know if we don't you know the earth is going to um, suffer the consequences or you know our enemies. Uh, if you want to call China our enemy, um, will supplant us as the greatest power of the world um, in the coming years and decades. So let me play devil's advocate, because that's what I have to do here on The Brian Nichols Show, because I had Alex Epstein. Now, he was uh, the uh, author of The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels back in uh, 2014. And one of the arguments that he makes is that when you look at fossil fuels, it's more so like the net, I guess, the, I don't want to misrepresent his argument, but more so the, the net positive, if you will, when you're looking at, if you were to basically say, if you were to not have the fossil fuel industry, what would be the net negatives across the, the, the globe from a poverty standpoint, from a technological advancement standpoint? What would you know we see going forward in that regards without fossil fuels? So I guess looking at that perspective in 2020, when we're seeing the alternative energy starting to pop up more across the, the globe, I'm saying, or I'm seeing rather, yeah, the, alter, the alternative energies are out there. And I would say it's becoming more and more easy. But do do fossil fuels get a bad rap? Well, fossil fuels helped, uh, you know, make the U.S. the great economy that it is today. And so many other countries, you know, it's raised our standard of living, um, you know, uh, cheap coal providing electricity and Electrifying the U.S. and the world was, you know, one of the great advancements of the 20th century. But um, the cost of fossil fuels relative to um, free wind and free solar is no longer cost effective. Um, and the external costs of burning these fossil fuels are not being accounted for in the, in their cost of energy. And so, you know, if I... Um, took my garbage and dumped it in your lawn, I'm sure you would raise, um, you know, an issue with that. And um, I might even be fine for doing something like that. But, you know, for the, for the most part, um, polluters are allowed to pollute our air and our, and our atmosphere uh, with carbon that's, that's um, you know, increasingly causing global warming and uh, dangers that we've seen culminate, you know, this year in a big way with um, increasing um, wildfires and um, droughts, um, storms and hurricanes. Um, you know, we're only going to see more and more of that and more severe cases of it. So, um, yeah, there, the, you know, the fossil fuel industry, it, it, it again made us um, who we are today, but that does not necessarily mean that we should stay on that path. Um, fossil fuels, it's a limited natural resource. And so at some point in time, we have to make the transition and we might as well do it now while we know the long-term ramifications of of pumping billions of tons of carbon into the atmosphere. So looking at your book, Fusion uh, Capitalism, right? Now you're making the uh, uh, the argument that the United States needs to be leading the charge. Now, I, I know a lot of folks in my audience, especially because we're more of a libertarian-leaning podcast, but you know that they're going to instantly have a gut instinct of hearing, well, the government should be leading the charge because when we see the government leading the charge on, well, 
pretty much anything, we usually see uh, not not so great uh, a result. So I guess mm-hmm. I would ask, you know, you're, you're making this appeal to fusion capitalism. What's the, the argument? How would we be able to lead as a country without having it necessarily have the uh, the signature uh, footprint of government programs as we, we would traditionally yes. see today? Yes. Um, the single most important thing we can do is put a price on carbon so that those external costs that I just mentioned are accounted for and the polluters are the ones paying for the cost, not you and I uh, as taxpayers. That's right. You know, right now you and I are paying taxes that are going to pay for the military, which are securing the sea lanes in the Middle East to ensure the safe flow of oil. Um, and we're um, also paying for the healthcare costs of people getting asthma and um, going to the emergency room um, for treatments and, um, you know, all the other costs. Um, we as taxpayers are paying for it, but really it should be borne by those who are causing the problem in the first place. So hopefully your audience um, would see that as being a fair and equitable approach to the problem. And in fact, it it, it might have even helped um, you know, um, I wouldn't say maybe make government smaller, but it's not about expanding the government by any by any means. If if we're going to increase tax revenue through taxing carbon, then maybe we can reduce taxes in other ways, you know, such as on income taxes or something else so that we stay um, revenue neutral. So it's not about growing the, gov- the government. Um, by any means. Right. And I guess I, I want to play devil's advocate, right? Because one of the, the arguments we hear, especially when you start to dig into more Austrian schools of thought in terms of economics, you start to, to dig more into the unintended consequences. So I guess one of the the you know, kind of little red flags I see popping up just from more of a libertarian perspective in this would be what would necessarily be maybe some barriers to entering the marketplace that these tax credits could create? I mean, would we see maybe a possibility in this situation where you're actually pushing some possible new entrants into the marketplace out because they're not able to meet those tax credits? And then in that time frame of trying to innovate or find alternative forms of energy that is uh, less expensive, but also is uh, more clean, they aren't able to actually now enter into that marketplace, leaving it to only a few of those big companies that can actually do that. They do it at a slower pace. Is, is that a fair critique or? Well, you mentioned tax credits. I'm not talking about tax credits. I'm talking about putting a price on carbon or in other words, taxing carbon. So it's not giving a credit to anyone. It's about um, the opposite of that, <laughs> putting a tax rather than a credit on um, carbon. Um, and... Um, you know, there are tax credits currently for the solar and wind power industries. Uh, those are um, due to expire over the next two or three years. Um, and, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, I'm sure unintended consequences in almost any action you might take. But I think the, the uh, existential threat of climate change and the um, the magnitude of the problems of, of um, you know, uh, of, of a world beset by millions of poverty-stricken people who could be gainfully employed if we made clean energy the, the standard um, in, in, in the way that we power and electrify our, our world. Um, 
And then again, we, we address a lot of the war and terrorism issue. I mean, right now, you know, because the U.S. is in the market for oil and oil is a global, um, you know, product, uh, we are in, in, in essence propping up the price of oil. And who's trying to sell that oil to their benefit besides oil companies like ExxonMobil? Well, Russia is, um, Iran is, ISIS is. So if we can drive down the price of oil by lowering the demand for that oil, then we weaken our enemies and their abilities to wage war and terrorism against us. I had um, Steve Malloy. He was uh, one of uh, Trump's actually his, uh, one of his chief uh, EPA transition team members. I think it was his title officially. Um, but he was on the show, and one of the, the points that he brought up, as and I, it did you know kind of strike me. It, this is an interesting perspective, but. I really haven't heard too much talked about from uh, a lot of folks in more of like promoting alternative forms of energy when it comes to nuclear energy. And actually, uh, going back to the episode I was talking about with Alex Epstein, we were discussing Zac Efron just did a Netflix documentary called, uh, oh my goodness, what the hell is it called? I forget what it's called. But the moral of the story is that he's going around trying to look at alternative forms of energy and stuff. And, and with this, um, he doesn't even discuss nuclear energy, but his dad's actually a nuclear um, energy scientist at a, a nuclear power plant. So it's just funny to think that. Um, but yeah. I really haven't heard much from some of these folks who are promoting alternative forms of energy in terms of nuclear power. So I guess, Steve, what would you say in terms of nuclear energy? Is that an acceptable form of alternative energy to help move us away from, from some of the more traditional fossil fuels? And then also maybe, what about like fracking? Um, I know you were mentioning getting us out of foreign uh, intervention, which I think would be a huge positive from a libertarian perspective. Especially, would fracking at home maybe be a, a step in the right direction, at the very least, getting us out of uh, those overseas conflicts? Well, let's start with nuclear. I mean, nuclear uh, energy uh, was in vogue. Um, I would say more in the fifty, uh, in, you know, fifty uh, uh, years ago. Um, in its um, in its early years, uh, it wasn't until later that we learned of, of you know, the dangers went after, um, um, you know, we had the problem in Pennsylvania, a, a three mile island, then we had Chernobyl, and then we had Fukushima. And those, those events have alarmed so many people, so many people in government, that I don't think that nuclear uh, will be able to um, you know, address the safety concerns. Um, you know, there is, uh, you know, it's, it's not a clean source of energy when you think about the nuclear waste. The nuclear waste is something that we still haven't um, solved. You know, where do we put this radioactive material that, um, you know, will exist for thousands of years? Um, and, um, you, you know, it it, it, it is a... Um, you know, so it would be a way to scale up uh, and solve the carbon um, crisis or the climate crisis, but it would create another crisis um, and, and make our current problem in, in finding safe places to store this radioactive waste um, even larger. Um, you know, we haven't, I don't think a new nuclear power plant has been uh, cited and approved in many years um, here in the U.S. and countries like Germany and Japan have 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 said they will, you know, they're going to phase out their nuclear energy. So, if anything, it's a dying industry, and and, and it's it's not dying as quickly as say the coal industry. But um, 
I, I, I don't see a, a way forward for it because of that reason. Fracking is, you know, it's got a lot of um, concerns around it too. Um, the, the chemicals being injected into the ground and, um, you know, you know, how safe is that for our, our drinking water? Um, and, you know, I've read that, um, you know, due to the fracking that, which has made the U S energy independent, um, that the total amount of money, um, made has been more than offset by losses, um, by companies overall in the industry and fewer and fewer investors and lenders are, are willing to, um, to go in that direction too. And, and so I just read today that 90% of new electric generation in the last year has come from renewables, um, 90%. So that means the other 10% is made up of, well, probably not new coal plants, not very much, at least anyway. Um, you know, most of it's probably natural gas. Um, but, you know, the mega trend is, is, should be clear to everybody that solar and wind power, um, as well as hydro and, and biomass is the way of the future. So when you're looking at something like the Green New Deal, I'm just curious because I actually had um economist on my show, Max Gulker, back when the Green New Deal was the, the thing that was being discussed ad nauseum. And one of the, 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 the points that was brought up was just the amount of money that would need to be spent. And and I understand that you're promoting more of, of a tax on on carbon than promoting more, I guess, spending, but do you see any merit in an argument of the Green New Deal and the approach that the, uh, the like the Alexander Ocasio Cortez wing of the Democratic Party was taking with a Green New Deal? Well, what I like about it is its boldness and and, and the um, and the big um, the bigness of the idea um, in terms of solving the problem, recognizing climate change as being the urgent problem that it is, but it it is much broader in scope than it needs to be to, to solve the problem. I mean, it's, you know, it's also about um, getting into so many other areas and I, I think it would be a government expansion program in the end. And um, again, I'm, I'm a conservative. I believe in small government. I believe in, you know, strong military and um, I'm pro-life all, all the main elements of being a conservative, at least historically. Um, but, you know, I think putting a price on carbon is a very simple thing to do. It wouldn't take a whole new agency or a department. Um, it would just let every um, producer out there know that um, you will be paying for this cost. And every consumer buying from that producer is now aware of that cost. And it changes the calculus of how energy is is purchase going forward immediately. It sends an immediate signal to everybody in the U.S. and it would quickly have ramifications um, around the world. So, um, I, you know, I see it as being a free market solution that would involve very little uh, government um, involvement. So would let, let me ask you this. Would it not be at least fair to say, though, that there would be in that immediate feel of, you know, uh, impact that you will see, you know, your average person, they'll probably end up spending more in terms of their energy bills. I mean, I know back 
just a, a short, my goodness, like four years ago, um, eight years ago, you know, gas, gasoline was, was, you know, at the pump four plus dollars in some cases in New York state. And that, you know, does impact your average person, you know, pretty significantly when they're trying to decide if they're trying to get to work or trying to pay the grocery bills. So I guess, you know, you are going to see, I would say a pretty, a pretty big response in that regards. How would you be able to juggle, I guess, that immediate feeling of economic pain with the, I guess, the proposal that the future is going to be better because of it? I don't think there will be economic pain up front. At all? Um, Well, you know, it will be minimal and for for a short period of time, maybe. But again, 90% of all new electric generation came from renewables in the last year. And are you complaining about that when you get your electric bill every month? Um, I don't think that anybody's even seen any major increases in um, electricity pricing. Um, You know, everybody has the option, even if they can't afford to put solar panels on their rooftop or buy an electric car. Um, you know what they can do is they can um, opt for the green power um, option with their local um, utility. And that is rather than buying dirty power, brown power from their utility, they can basically demand from their utility that their utility procure clean energy from some source um, for every kilowatt hour that you as a consumer buy from them. So, um, and what is the cost? You say, you, so you're concerned about the, the upfront cost. Well, the cost for an average homeowner would only be about 3 to $4 per month or the cost of a Starbucks coffee, say. And while not everybody can afford a Starbucks coffee per month, I would say the vast majority of Americans can and an even greater percentage um, can and should. I mean, you know, to do the right thing, uh, to get to get on the right side of history and to solve this long-term problem, we as consumers can can drive this change. We don't have to wait for the government or um, pro, you know large producers like Exxon and Chevron and and others to you know get on the bandwagon. We as consumers can make them decide you know the the right course of action. So. Um, Again, I think the, the upfront cost is going to be very minimal um, initially, but long term, um, there is no lo- no lower f- cost of energy than a, than energy that comes to us for free every day. Again, that energy that's coming to us free every day is either the sun shining, the wind blowing, or the water flowing. Um, and we don't have to extract or mine and ship and burn and take care of, um, you know, the waste um, streams or anything like that. It, it's, it's, it's the most economical way to power our world going forward. So you made a point in the last uh, bit there. And it actually, it, it did make me um, you know, a little curious because you, you, the point you made was we as consumers can, can help basically drive this forward. And then I guess that leads me to ask you, so why the tax then? If, if we, consumers can can set the the stage for companies to follow we're setting 
the standard saying, hey, you know, ExxonMobil, we expect this going forward in, in the way that our consumer buying habits are going to be. You know, if if that's the case, would that not then possibly be an argument against looking at government? And the reason I say that is because just in my my libertarian nervousness brain looking at government, I often see anytime we've given government the ability to do something in the name of a, a societal good, they often don't do too good of a job at doing it. I you know look at mm-hmm. the war on drugs, the war on terror, you mean the war on ice cream, they would still mess that up. I could, I'm sure they would try and find mm-hmm. a way. So I guess I, I get nervous when I say or I hear somebody saying like, oh, well, let's just add another tax. Could that not necessarily have these negative ramifications down the road, especially when considering, to your point, this might be able to be accomplished with the consumers as the means to actually make that change happen. Well, if every consumer, all 300 million of us, uh, were were aware of the problem of climate change, understood it, and wanted to prevent it from getting worse, um, and recognized all the other benefits that I mentioned previously, Uh, I would say there would be no need for government to put a price on carbon. But because time is running out on, on, um, you know, you know, we're fast approaching the point of no return on climate change in terms of eventually the earth warming up and never, you know, that, that the rate of rise never coming back uh, down again. Um, You know, we, we need quicker action. And again, I wouldn't equate putting a price on carbon to, waging a war on terrorism or, or any of the other examples that you gave, um, putting, a, putting a tax on something is very easy to do. The U.S. is expert at it at, you know, with very um, little involvement. We've already got this um, thing called the IRS, and um, not that we want to complicate the, the tax code, but we, we certainly want to send a signal, signal to those who are imposing a cost to all of us um, as citizens of this country, those that that um, you know are imposing the cost should bear the cost. So um, again, I, I think you know, I you know I don't necessarily subscribe to all the the thinkings of of libertarians, but I would think that that logic would um, you know would win over the the hearts and minds of those who do <laughs> well you also have a, a large group of libertarians who also think taxation is theft so just remember, remember yeah, that's sure. like okay. the, the premise right. for a lot of well, um, people I mean, but but so is polluting uh, theft in a way it's it's, it's robbing uh, us and our children of clean air and of a of a viable future and imposing um, costs through hurricanes and wildfires and and again you're paying for uh, a military that has to ensure the safe flow of oil around the world. And um, so th- those are costs that I'm trying to reduce. I agree. I, we, want to mini- we want to minimize ta- uh, taxes. Um, and I think um, we could do it in a big way if we, if we addressed, you know, um, carbon. So right now we, we're heading into uh, 2021, where it appears uh, unforeseen some circumstances, of course, uh, being all considered that Joe Biden is going to be the the next president of the United States. So I, I know when we, we first started the conversation, Steve, you, you set the stage that, you know, a Biden administration might actually give this approach to a, a fusion capitalism approach to climate change a better chance, I guess, going forward. So, I mean, I guess looking at the Biden administration as we wrap up here, what gives you kind 
kind of that that good feeling. And and number two, I guess, who do you see in the Biden administration being that, shall we say, the benevolent person who will set what the uh, the tax rates and stuff would be and what companies would be taxed and at what rates and, and so forth? Sure. Um, well, the, the first thing that um, President Biden will do is um, re-enter the Paris Climate Accord Um he said that he will do do that on day one. So we will uh, rejoin the almost 200 countries that are already part of that agreement. Uh, do you know there's only, I think, two other countries that are not part of that agreement? I think it is Syria and um, Nicaragua. Um, so we're in fine company not being part of this accord. All the other you know, great nations are. Um, so let, let's, you know, the U.S. can't solve this problem alone. It, it does need to be an international effort. Um, and um, regarding, you know, how, how you know, w- w- what will the Biden administration do in addition to that? I mean, we're, you know, I would imagine he's going to reverse a number of the executive orders that Trump made to um, foster the fossil fuel industry. You know, he was going to he was going to save the uh, the coal industry. Remember, he was going to make it great again. And of course, the coal industry has gone into major decline. It's it's basically, uh, you know, dead now as an industry. Um, the oil industry is in a death spiral in a way, not, you know, it's due to the pandemic, but also due to um, the fact that you know, electric cars are, are, are being seen as the transportation mode of the future. And, um, um, you know, more and more electric cars are being sold in the marketplace. Every major car manufacturer is moving towards electric cars. What does that say to, you know, Exxon and Chevron, Shell, BP? Um, you probably know that John Kerry was in, uh, was made the, um, um, the climate, uh, um, I forget the, the name of the, uh, the title given to him, but basically a climate czar and, um, you know, John Kerry was previously the, um, you know, head of the de- uh, Department of State. And, um, you know, he's he's got the relationships. He knows how to uh, forge a stronger, better agreements. And um, I'm sure he'll have at least input to who puts this price on carbon, whether it be $20 per ton of carbon or you know, $30. I, I would imagine it's going to be somewhere in that range, 20 to $30 per ton of carbon being put into the atmosphere is what um, polluters will have to pay. Again, just like I would have to pay a fine if I dumped garbage into your lawn. The book is Fusion Capitalism, A Clean Energy Vision for Conservatives. So making the case, I'll make sure I include the link, Steve, for all the folks there to go ahead and uh, go give it a good read and, and hear the argument of why, uh, you know, tax, not credits, tax uh, taxes on carbon themselves uh, would be the approach uh, that you are making as the argument going forward to help mitigate the climate change crisis going forward. So we have some things to look forward to going into 2021. Uh, with that being said, Steve, any last words of wisdom we can leave here with the uh, the Brian Nichols Show audience or anything, you uh, maybe some, some I guess, things to look forward to uh, in the, the fusion capitalism uh, world as we head into 2021? Yeah, uh, just that capitalism got us into this problem, but I think it's the best economic system to get us out of the problem with some minor course corrections, the biggest one being putting a price on carbon. 
and and the other major message would be to the degree that we none of us want more taxes, let's be that smart, savvy consumer and buy our energy from sources that we know are not creating a problem for our our world and for uh, our children and future generations. Um, we can drive the change if we're all, you know, acting smartly by, um, you know, again, opting for that um, green power option. And that can drive the change, but we need, we need millions of people to do this, you know, right away. Thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols Show, uh, Steve. We'll make sure we include the link for folks to make sure they can give all the uh, the clean energy vision for conservative argument a listen. Uh, with that being said, where can folks go ahead and follow you on social media? They want to stay up to date with all that's going on. Well, they can um, go to LinkedIn and uh, they can go to Malink Corporation. Um, and, uh, of course, Steve Malink, um, you know, if they, they Google me, they can find me um, there. And um, Brian, I just want to thank you for having me on your program. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And, um, you know, I think we have just a, a really bright future um, to look forward to. For sure, Steve. Thank you so much. A quick read from our new sponsor, and that is the Expat Money Show. Now, if you are a longtime listener or even a relatively new listener here on the Brian Nichols Show, then you remember our good friend, Mikkel Thorup from the Expat Money Show. What an episode to learn that just because you were born in one country doesn't mean that you have to pay your taxes there forever to do your banking there, or to have your investments there, raise your family there, or even have your companies register there, learn there, get your kids educated there, or even live your life there. How about that? You can go ahead and live your life wherever it is you see fit. Because the Expat Money Show, which is hosted by our friend Mikhail Thorup, originally started as a podcast but has grown to a worldwide community of entrepreneurs who are living international location, independent lifestyles. Mikkel is focused on helping you live an international life by looking at problems through the lens of global solutions. In this day and age, there is no reason you should let borders get in the way of having the best the world has to offer. So, Brian Nichols Show audience, head over to the Expat Money Show today. Give Mikkel a subscribe, a fantastic show, and tell him that Brian Nichols sent you. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Steve Mellink, Mellink Corporation, and author of Fusion Capitalism. I will be sure to include all the links to uh, Steve and his work in the show notes, so please do me a favor, go ahead and check those out. And while you're there, uh, make sure you check out in the show notes our awesome sponsors. Yes, we have Ebels and we have the Expat Money Show. I cannot support those uh, causes enough. Ebels, by the way, I've been using Ebels like nonstop. I've been having issues uh, with my, my forearm slash like elbow. Um, yeah, don't get old. All these little things just start popping up and you're like, where did that come from? But I say never fear. Just go ahead and slap a little bit of that Ebel's topical freeze gel on there, and I'm good as new. So, uh, yeah, go ahead. Use code TBNS in the uh, the show notes there. Uh, you can find the link to Ebel's, and uh, use code TBNS for your special discount applied at checkout. Yes. Uh, also, heading up here the rest of the week. So, I mentioned uh, going into uh, this week here, we had Steve on the show this uh, this morning, and then coming up on Wednesday, we are joined by, so he is technically a returning guest, uh, but it was at a different iteration of the Brian Nichols Show, and it was actually back when I was on the Libertarian Republic's podcast network around the Republic, hosted by yours truly back in 2016. And uh, with that, John joined the show back then to kind of do an overview of kind of his entrance in, into politics, but 
Now, looking back, John actually was a never uh, never Trump conservative, and uh, he was very, very staunch in his uh, opposition to President Trump. So we get to have John come onto the show, really, to give his report card grades uh, as a never Trump conservative. How did the Trump presidency grade out? And then also, what did the Trump presidency uh, do in terms of setting things up for the conservative, Republican, libertarian movements going into future elections? So make sure you go ahead and check out that episode coming up here on Wednesday. On Friday, Brad Palumbo returns to the show. Good friend, Brad. Uh, and Brad's doing great work, obviously, over at Breaking Boundaries, Fee, Washington Examiner, National Review, covering all things economics. And he joins the show uh, on Friday to discuss economics as it pertains to the student debt crisis from the student loans, one point, I think he said $8 trillion it was in, in public student loan debt, uh, but discussing how just canceling said debt is actually a very regressive approach to uh, you know, dealing with this student loan debt crisis, if we can call it that, and Brad actually digs into that a little bit on the show. And of course, we get to learn more about Brad, and in this case, we get to learn about some of Brad's weird food takes. Uh, you're, you gotta make sure you, you sign up to uh, hear some of the weird things that Brad likes to eat. Uh, I, hmm, yep. Hopefully, you guys will stick around uh, to, to, to support Brad after that, uh, because they're weird things. But anyways, guys, if, if you have not yet, this is where you can go ahead and make sure you don't miss a single episode. Hit that subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever it is that you get The Brian Nichols Show. Hit subscribe so you're not missing one episode, but also make sure you go ahead and give us that five-star rating and review. This is also uh, one of the ways we reach more people. People see five stars, they're like, hey, this show must not suck. And thank you for making sure that we uh, help people know this show does not suck because, guys, I'm going to tell you right now, you guys have been doing a phenomenal job at helping sell liberty, right? And how I know that? Because over the past week, especially with our conversations with uh, Dan Taxation and Steph Berman over on his show, um, having conversations with Gaurav Dubé last uh, Wednesday talking about psychedelics and then talking with Cliff Maloney about how we actually win, uh, get liberty into elected office. Every one in nine knocked doors yields a vote for your candidate. We're talking about ways to actually take what we're talking about in our group chats and in our Facebook groups, these libertarian ideas, and now we're actually finding ways to get them into action. So, if you are enjoying and finding value of what we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show, I'm going to ask you to do me a favor, right? I need you to go over to We Are Libertarians, the big page, and go to Wall Plus. Wall Plus is where all of our Patreon subscribers are going to be able to, number one, go ahead and access some awesome content, but number two, to be able to support the show. Right now, if you guys did not realize this, this is a labor of love from the network, and, and it's your help and support that keeps the network going. These services that we use, the the hosting, the, the, the email clients, they're not free, right? So every little bit helps support networks like the We Are Libertarians Network and, and other organizations, Lions of Liberty, so on and so forth. We need folks like you because at the end of the day, we can talk all day long about needing alternative forms of, of media and the only way we can really get those alternative forms of media into action is your help. We need to have you guys supporting us with not only your downloads and, and subscribes, but with your dollars. And and that is something that across the board, I know I speak for myself at the Brian Nichols Show, um, but all libertarian and just in general, independent media folks out there, we need your help. We need you guys to help us in order to be the change we want to see going forward. And again, I'm seeing that you guys are enjoying the content we're doing here at the Brian Nichols Show. I'm seeing it work in action. The conversations you guys are having online with, with folks who are outside of our movement, you're making a difference. And, and this is exactly why we do what we do here at the Brian Nichols Show, because at the end of the day, we don't care about just being right. We don't want to be the king of being right. We want to make sure we're able to promote liberty the best way we can possible, 
sell the value of liberty, be problem solvers, ask questions, answer those questions with liberty solutions, and make liberty win, put liberty into action, make a real substantive difference in real people's lives. That's our goal here at The Brian Nichols Show. I think that's everybody's goal out there, and if it's not, it should be. And if you guys support that goal, please support us at The Brian Nichols Show. Support other organizations like We Are Libertarians, The Big Channel. Support other networks, Lions of Liberty, Dave Smith, Part of the Problem, Jason Stapleton, Tom Woods, Fritz at FritzCast. There are so many great podcasts out there that you can go ahead and support. I implore you guys to please be the change Make that make that behavioral switch. Stop watching CNN at night. Go ahead and say, you know what? Instead, we're going to go ahead and throw on Joe Rogan. I don't know. That'd be a fun dinner conversation with little Susie, right? And also, and I know I'm just rambling here at this point, but I do want to give a special shout out to my awesome, phenomenal team behind the scenes. I have a team of Corey, Chris, Bill, and Rob. You gents are helping grow the Brian Nichols Show audience, and I cannot thank you guys enough for all the work from marketing, helping with the audio, helping with uh, with editing. It, it's it literally it's it's taking so much off my plate. It's allowing me to do this, do what we enjoy to do here at the Brian Nichols Show, and that is promote the message of liberty and allowing me to focus on producing that content. So to you guys, thank you so so incredibly much. Uh, so with that being said, guys, I don't really have too much more to say. Follow me on social media at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds. And parlor.com. Email Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. Five star rating and review if you haven't yet, guys, but that's all I really got. So, with that being said, make sure you go ahead, give us a subscribe, and you're not missing awesome episodes coming up here on the Brian Nichols Show like that of Wednesday. We are joined again by John Ziegler. But with that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on the Brian Nichols Show for Steve Melnick. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening to the Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.